Welcome to Sex Ed Rewind, reflections on how we learn about sex. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. I'm your host, Caro, and I'm so excited to introduce our guest this week, Francisco, a former colleague of mine and friend. Francisco was born and raised in Queens to two immigrant parents from Brazil and El Salvador. With a master's degree in public health, he works as an adjunct professor at Lehman College and as a program manager at Montefiore Hospitals, where he develops programming in the health and wellness sphere. When not working, he loves to read, work out, and meditate. Francisco, welcome to the show. Hey, Carol. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here, and I'm excited, too. Um, We are excited to have you. Um, How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Awesome. Okay, so we're going to dive right into it. And uh, as you know, we start everybody off on this show with some intro questions. So because we talk a lot about who you were in high school and your experiences as a young person, we like to get everybody familiar with a young Francisco. So (laughs) if you could share with us, if you could think back to those high school days and who you were then, um, and share with us your favorite band or musician, your favorite fashion trend, and your favorite slang word. All right. So I, those are good ones. I, I, like, I like those. Um, so my favorite band, I really liked Eminem. I still do. I, I was able to relate to him, and I just loved his music. It always got me pumped up. I was a wrestler in high school and college, so I would listen to his music for everything. For fashion trend, I remember um, in high school, I got into skinny jeans because I remember prior to that, like all the boys would wear baggy jeans. Like, you know, God forbid we were seen with like skinny jeans, right? Mm-hmm. But then, well, that changed. And I remember getting into it. And then, you know, from there on, I mean, I stopped wearing skinny jeans after quite some time because they got a bit uncomfortable, but I wear <laughs> slim fit now. But at the time, that was it. You know what I mean? It's like you had to be wearing skinny jeans. Yeah, I love that you we went from like baggy to skinny and now you have like that intermediate of like slim fit. Exactly. I'm in between. Yeah. And I think slang word in high school we would always say OD, right? That person is that person is ODing right now, right? It's so it means you're doing too much. Mhm. We would say that, we would say like that kid is bugging out. I mean, people probably hearing this are like, well, these are slang terms that have been around forever, but you know, they were the ones that I used. <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, that's what we need to know. We need to know like what you were wearing, what you were saying. We want to like get into the mind, get into the mindset of a young friend. I still say those things. things. Yeah. You know what? Live it up. I love that. So um, now that we know a little bit more about young Fran, can you share with us a little bit about um, the high school that you went to? So to start, where was it? What city or state? So I went to I went to high school in Jamaica, Queens. It was in Laurelton. The school was called Springfield Gardens High School. Nice. And what kind of school was it? Was this a public school, private, religious? Yeah, so it was a public school. Um, it was it was one of those schools that they kind of broke into into like four or five schools. You know, each school would have their own principal on their designated floor. And I think the whole purpose of that was to kind of, you know, uh, make the schools more manageable. Mm-hmm. So everybody under one roof, but multiple schools within one building. Yep. Yep. Nice. And what decade did you go to high school in? I graduated high school in 2010. Oh, same. So we're the same age. Yep. 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 2010. 
With that being said, I feel like you were ahead of the skinny jeans trend. I feel like it kind of hit after we got to high school, after we <laughs> left high school. No, no, I was definitely part of the trend. <laughs> well, it's good to be ahead of the trend. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, awesome. So we were in Queens. We were at a public school. We talked a little bit about who young Fran was. So let's dive right into our questions about your sex education experience. So for starters, did you receive any type of sex education at school? I mean, look, to be honest with you, I was not a good student in high school. So there were many days where I wasn't even in school. Um, But I don't remember getting sex education. I kind of just remember um, hearing about it from other students and stuff like that. And obviously, you know, when that happens, you, you know, it's really not the best or, or that most accurate kind of information. You know what I mean? But I, I don't remember any formal sex education at my, uh, at my old high school. Right. So if you did get it, it didn't stick with you either way. So it, didn't, it definitely didn't stick. It didn't do its job, even if it was there. Correct. So you didn't get it in school or maybe you did, but either way, it didn't impact you enough to leave a mark. So you mentioned talking with your peers about sex. So would you say that they were a big source of sex education for you? Yeah, I think I think it was definitely uh, my peers. I think a large part of it also came from my parents growing up. I think, you know, from my mom and, you know, from my friends and, and, and that was really it. Mm-hmm. So when you were talking with your friends about it, where were people getting their information from? Do you have any memory of like where you guys were sourcing your information? Yeah, I think I, to be honest with you, I think 99% of it came from media, right? Mm -hmm. It it either came from hip hop culture. It came from rap music. It came from entertainment or or it came from rumors. You know, there were, there were a lot of stigma. There was a lot of stigma attached, you know, to anyone who was either involved in sex or not having sex. You know what I mean? In high school, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a big thing. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned a little bit talking to your mom about sex in some capacity. Can you walk us through what that looked like? Yeah, I think, to be honest, with my mom, you know, and my mom is an awesome woman. Um, you know, she was an immigrant. She came from El Salvador when she was like, 17 18 and you know growing up I you know she wasn't she also wasn't very informed uh, you know as far as uh, sexuality goes so I think growing up we never had a sit down or healthy conversation about sex and I think given you know the lack of education that my mom had um, you know she was probably also one of those she was probably also one of those parents who had, you know, some sort of stigma or negative connotation to sex. It was always uh, like, be very careful, you know, like if you have sex, like, you know, wear a condom or, you know, you have to be really careful with, um, at least she said that, like, you know, I remember we would talk about condoms, but, but she would also like freak me out too much. Like tell me people die of getting sick. You know what I mean? So like 10, 11, 12, 13, I'm like freaking out. I'm like, Jesus, like, why do people even have sex if there's, you know, all oh, these concerns? But I think, you know, that kind of starts, that really just, that, that kind of starts that, um, you know, initial piece of, I guess, information or, or, or connection you have towards sex. It's, you know, these memories or these, uh, these neural pathways that you kind of develop growing up in terms of, you know, how you associate sex and who you've spoken to about it. And I think my mom, you know, and again, like, I love my mom, but I think she probably had a pretty bad, like, influence on me in terms of, like, the way I 
viewed sex like at the time like i just saw it as something to be scared of more than anything like it was bad like you shouldn't be having sex especially if you're young like you know it's just not a good thing yeah absolutely and i think that is such a common tactic used when sex education is present for young people like whether it is from a parent or from school um, or from any other source it is often framed as something that's scary, something that you have to be really careful of and avoid at all costs, like until you are, you know, old enough, but there's never an age given, you know, there's never like a, when you are this old, you should be doing it. And I think that young people really remember how they feel when they're given information. Like you don't always remember what it is, but if you're really scared, like you said, you, you, you distinctly remember feeling fear around it because that is, that's what your mom wanted you to feel right. To, to try and protect you. Sure. She was trying to do what was best for me. Um, So I get that. You know, but obviously looking back at it now, if I were, you know, to go about having that kind of conversation with my children, I think it would just look way different. Yeah, of course. And I think that really highlights how intergenerational these issues are. It's like most of our parents, wherever they came from, just because of their age, they probably didn't get good sex ed, like wherever they were in the world. And that likely means they were never taught how to engage with young people about sex. And I think that's really common among parents throughout the country. I mean, having no guide, having no resources to lean on about how to talk to your kids about sex. And so what happens is she just, you know, they do their best. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I, I can agree with that wholeheartedly, I think. So did you ever have a conversation with your dad or anyone else in your household? Or was it really just your mom that was kind of in charge of imparting that information on you? Um, Well, I had an older brother. I mean, I have an older brother, but, you know, it wasn't one of those things that we spoke about too often. Like as a kid, you're confused, like you're getting so many different messages. And I think as a young kid, like innately, just my relationship in terms of sexuality with my own intuition, it's, you know, I loved girls. You know what I mean? I, I always did as long as I could remember, you know, I was always attracted to women and, you know, I always enjoyed the way that felt. And I remember just, I remember I had a girlfriend at like, well, I wasn't sexually active or anything. You know, I had my brother who I didn't, I didn't really speak to about it. Um, and then my dad, I think the only conversation I ever remember having with my dad was him showing me how to put a condom on a banana right now like thinking about it it's like okay that you know if anything that was probably the smartest way to go about it because my dad is more open sexually he always has been you know he grew up in brazil so he he was always very open about that but i guess even for me i would always kind of hesitate like ooh, i don't want to talk to my dad so when he pulled out the banana and the condom i was disturbed (laughs) i was like "Uh uh-uh i ain't having this so i kind (laughs) of just remember going upstairs to my room but I, I, I got the message, wear a condom, you know, from my dad. But at the same time, I really liked girls. And then you, you got my mom, my poor mom, who was just kind of like freaking me out. Like you get diseases and this or that. So you get a lot of mixed messages. And I really agree with you. And so it's like, you don't always remember the thoughts, but you remember the associated emotions. I think that's what sticks to you. And I think that's where kind of, I think that's where trauma starts. Like you have, you, you create these like emotional reactions that can be very hard to break out of. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what you shared just highlights that even more. Like you have this really strong memory of just like being attracted to women. Like that's just what you remember feeling as a young person. And when we don't give young people 
the language or the information to understand those feelings or to handle those feelings in a healthy way or to know that those feelings are normal and natural. It's like we really just leave them to their own devices. And oftentimes they either get no information or they head to, you know, the internet or their friends that might have information that's not healthy. I think it's a really common feeling among young people and then not not kind of knowing what to do with that because no one tells you. Sure. Yeah, it's true. And I I think I was in that very same position. So you mentioned that your mother was from El Salvador and your father was from Brazil. Do you feel like being in a intercultural household impacted your experience learning about sex? Yeah, I I guess the greatest part about how my parents have approached um, sexuality, whether they knew it or not, is that they never, ever had a problem with my brother or I bringing girls over. You know, and I don't just mean like in a sexual way, but you know, even when I was younger, you know, if we ever had friends that were girls, you know, ever since we were little kids, like they would never, never have a problem um, with us bringing them over. And as we grew up into our teenage years, you know, and we would kind of bring girls over, my parents were just always like very welcoming, which was very cool. And I think, you know, it's something looking back now that I really admired about them because I think many parents, they, you know, they don't, you know, they, they don't approach um, relationships that way, especially if they're casual ones. You know, I always thought it was normal until later on, like I would talk to my friends about it and they would say, that's crazy. Like your parents let you bring girls over. My parents would never let me do that. Brazilian culture, I think, is very sexually open. So even growing up and going to Brazil, like I just remember having, you know, having a pretty good experience with culture there. Having parents from different cultural backgrounds was a positive thing in terms of sexuality for me. Like they weren't rigid. Mm -hmm. And I feel like what is clear about your relationship with your parents through that story is that like they clearly trusted you. And I think that even your dad showing you how to put a condom on a banana is like a lot more than most people get. And if he's showing you how to do that, you know, that means he trusts you that he's going to trust you with this information. And again, that's something that young people pick up on. Like if you have a more trusting and open relationship with your parents, you might feel more comfortable talking to them about these things. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So talked a little bit about your parents, a little bit about your friends. So outside of those two circles, where were you getting information about sex? Were you getting it from any other places like the internet, porn, anything like that? Yeah, I think growing up as like a young teenager is, you know, kind of introduced to pornography and and what that looks like. For me, I think that's where I kind of had my first visualizations of what sex looked like. And looking back at it, I don't know if that was really like the best place for me to receive that kind of information. Mm -hmm. Can you speak about why you say that? You know, the way I treat my sexuality now is a lot different than it ever has been before. I don't think that porn is a a healthy representation of what sexuality should look like. And And I think that for a couple of reasons. One, porn, of course, you know, it's acting. I also think that the way sex is performed in pornography sometimes can be very violent. And I think that can that also conveys a false representation of what sex looks like. And I think as a, you know, as a kid, like you kind of see all these things and you think these are the way, you know, this is the way I should treat a woman. Like this is what I need to do to please a woman. 
when you don't really realize that people behind these cameras are actors. You know, they're doing that to entertain. And I think a lot of us don't realize that we're being conditioned by that. So I think, you know, basically the things you see on, in porn are not necessarily the way that intimacy, you know, is always, re you know, reflected. But I think you're kind of saying without saying is that the porn that young people often have access to is not the most ethical, healthy porn to watch. Ethical porn, you have to pay for it. And young people are not going online and buying porn, right? They're typing in porn on Google or they're going to porn.com or whatever. And whatever comes up, whatever they find they don't know how to tell that they are actors, that what they see on the screen is not necessarily how every single person on the planet wants to have sex, should have sex. You know, that's not how everybody reaches orgasm or everybody experiences pleasure. And so when you are a young person, you don't have the literacy, you don't have the context to understand what you're seeing. And so what happens is you kind of see that as the norm, as the way that I should behave, as the way that my partner should behave. And I think when you're so young and impressionable, when you don't have someone telling you all the things that you just said, you know, like this is actually um, for entertainment. These are actors. This is one very specific depiction of a sex act. There are a hundred thousand more without that literacy. I think porn can be really damaging for young people to see for sure. Sure. You know, and I think without porn, people would probably have a different approach to sexuality that may be a lot more intrinsic in terms of like their own intuition. I don't think inherently a guy is going to want to do like all those things that he sees in porn if he were to have a, had a sexual interaction with a woman without ever having watched porn before. And I just think that that would look very different. So, you know, I do think that sexuality, it's, it's also very much a mental thing. And I think it's very important to be able to distinguish that. And I think for porn, a lot of it is, you know, it's very mental. Yeah. I love porn personally. I think that the type of porn you watch is really the thing that matters the most. If you are, again, watching stuff that is not ethical, you don't know if the actors are consenting. You don't know if the act actors are being compensated. But as a young person, like we said, if you have never been given any type of sex education, you haven't talked about it with your parents, you aren't getting it at school, and then you watch a porn that's all you have to go on. And so to your point, you know, if they were given some other type of sexuality education, like comprehensive sex ed, they would be given the opportunity to think, okay, well, what do I like? What might give me pleasure instead sure. of watching porn and fully just trying to emulate exactly what they see? Yeah. I think you also have to have the ability to like trust your own intuition. And I think that may look different for different people. Awesome. Just one more question about high school before we bring it forward a little bit. Um, do you remember how your peers were engaging with information about sex and their sexuality? You referenced it a little bit, but I would love to hear a little bit more about like how you engaged with them, um, what those conversations looked like. Honestly, it was all terrible. <laughs> Because in high school, just people are mean, man. I think in those years specifically, like you're trying to figure out who you are. Like you're very insecure as a person. You don't understand things. So I think you try to put yourself in a position where you want to look like you understand things because, it, you know, maybe it'll make you look more cool or reputable or whatever. But people would spread rumors. Like if someone had sex with someone else, you know, they would kind of just tell everyone about it. And then it was always the girl who was the victim, right? Like there's no surprise there. 
fair given the kind of society we live in like oh mm -hmm. god she did that she's horrible like and i remember at the time too like i'll be honest with you i was a victim of it i, I would be like wow i can't believe she did that you know but looking back at it now it's like she was just she was just a a, a normal girl like trying to figure herself out the same way the guy was i'm sure it was really tough to be a girl in high school especially if she engaged in any sort of sexual act with someone yeah and that double standard is so real the reality that when men or boys engage in a bunch of sexual activity, like they're cool and they're awesome and they're the man. And then when the girl does it, she's a slut. And, you know, all those terms are hurled at her. Yeah, correct. It's, it's, uh, it's really tough. Yeah, it's tough. There's no one telling you that a girl that has a lot of sex isn't a slut. She's just a normal teenager exercising her sexuality. You know, if we had some type of counter narrative, some people teaching this to our young folks, we would spare our young people just so much trauma, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so too. Awesome. So let's move on. We talked a little bit about some of your intersecting identities, your parents being from El Salvador and Brazil. Um, but are there any other intersecting identities that you would like to share with us that impacted the way you learned about sex? Put it in the best words, I'm a Latino American male who's straight. You know, I identify as straight. Do you remember gender coming into play? I mean, yeah. And, and, you know, we looked at each other and made judgments or decisions on who that person was, depending on, on their sexuality. I think any man, or at least growing up, like for me, you know what I mean? I think if you weren't seen as like a strong male figure, you were seen more so as like a soft feminine male figure. And that had a negative connotation to it as well. You know what I mean? Like growing up, if you weren't, you know, if you weren't ready to like just fight or if you weren't ready to stand up for yourself or if you weren't someone who I guess conveyed an alpha persona, you would probably be bullied or being judged. I remember very young, like having those kind of feelings of vulnerability. But, you know, I always felt like, you know, I, I, I couldn't explore those, you know, those feelings because I always had to kind of put off this tough persona. And I think, look, for me, you know, I, I, I was a very athletic kid. I was a wrestler and in college, you know, I played football. So I was, a, you know, not even by choice. I fit those, you know, traditional stereotypes of what a masculine figure should look like in society. So I guess I never put much thought to exploring any other aspects of my personality. I did as I, as I got older, but I think at the moment, I felt like that was kind of a shield that I was able to hide behind. Yeah, and what I think is really important about that is that that masculine persona that you, you know, felt like you had to be, or perhaps to some degree were naturally. Yeah really impacts how you are taught to treat other people, particularly women. And it yep. also impacts like sex is weird and awkward and uncomfortable, especially <laughs> for young people. And so if you are taught that you can't really be vulnerable or be anything but super strong and masculine and a leader, then that doesn't leave any space to ask questions when you don't know something or to lean on a partner for help and information or to put yourself in a position where you're anything but kind of like the alpha male. Yeah, yeah, I hear that. And I feel like that can really have a, have a negative impact on how you might relate intimately with a woman as a young person when you don't, when you're not given the language to explore that more intimate side of yourself. 
Like, it's funny to say this, but growing up, I was always a big Marvel fan. So ever since I was a kid, I always loved Spider-Man. Like, oh, when Spider-Man came out, forget about it. <laughs> Even though this day, like, I'm just a big fan of superheroes. And, and, and specifically male superheroes. Not because I don't admire powerful women, but because I was able to identify with them. In, in Spider-Man, Uncle Ben told Peter, he said, with great power comes great responsibility. And I'll never forget when I first heard that. And I apply that to my life till this day. I always felt that if you were given abilities that many could use to hurt people, you have to use those gifts for good. So I've always had this moral compass where I felt that, you know, look, because I'm this way, I'm not going to bully. I'm going to defend. I'm not going to be hostile. I'm going to be good. But I wanted to, uh, you know, do my best to uphold. Wasn't always successful at it. And I'm still not. But, you know, I try to. Yeah. What I love about that little anecdote is how important it is for people of all genders to have a positive representation of what they can and should be. Like you clearly related so much to Spider-Man and the other Marvel heroes and you were able to think, oh, I want to be like them because of the good qualities that they have. I had a friend on who worked for an organization that specifically looks at representation of LGBTQ people in the media. And it's like, if you don't see yourself represented, if you don't see an example of what you should be or what you should want to be that's healthy and that's affirming, it can be really hard to find that moral compass that you talked about having. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. Awesome. So let's switch gears a little bit and bring it forward to today. So beyond high school, how do you think that your sex education journey has impacted your relationship to sex today? I'll be honest with you, Carol, I had to unlearn a lot of things. And unfortunately, you know, I didn't realize how strong they were and how much they contributed to the way that I view and, and feel about sex, you know, as I grew older. So I, I think for the most part, probably not in the best way, in some ways good, in other ways, not so good. Can you think of any specific things that stand out that you had to unlearn that were really hard for you to unlearn? Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I was in a relationship that I'm no longer in. You know, I started dating this woman, Carol, and she started talking about her sexual past. And she told me that she had multiple sexual partners in the past. And I just remember that bothering me a lot. But I remember not knowing why it did. Like it wasn't, it wasn't really a mental thing. You know, it wasn't in my mind where I was like, she's bad for doing that or women shouldn't do that. It was just like an emotional bomb on my soul. I can't even explain it to you. And, you know, after doing some research, I found out that it's a condition called retroactive jealousy. It's actually an OCD pattern. And over the time that I was in a relationship with this woman, I did everything I could to try to combat this issue. Like I read books, I, I paid for like a course, I attended a couple of webinars. And what it really boiled down to was it's an issue of conditioning. Growing up, you don't even realize, you know, you put these things in your head, especially as a young man, that women who do that are bad. And, and that's what it really was for me. It wasn't a logical thought process where I felt like this person is this way. It was just an emotional one. You know, it's something that I, I don't feel good about. It's something that I feel horrible about. And the craziest part about it was that I had a sexual past of my own. You know what I mean? I had my share, fair share of partners. The way that I was conditioned to view 
my partner was, she shouldn't behave in those ways. So I'm able to talk about it now, like in a logical way. The biggest learning lesson from that was that just because you know something mentally, it doesn't mean that you've internalized it. It doesn't mean that you know it emotionally. To feel like my mind was thinking one thing, but my heart was just not following. It was the biggest learning curve for me in terms of sexuality because it just really sent me on this journey to try to figure out why I was feeling the way I felt. It comes down to, you know, just masculinity. It comes down to like double standards for sure. Definitely double standards. And sometimes there's no other way but to really just go through those really difficult moments. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing that. It's not always an easy thing to do. So thank you. But what I love about that journey is that you had a awareness to actually challenge that feeling. And the easier thing for you would have just to not done anything, you know, not yeah. read all those books, not tried to change and just kind of like ridden that wave and felt that way. Cared about this person a lot. So it was such cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. We don't really have anything right now in the States that gives kids a place to learn about men and women and how they interact and how to analyze culture and how to be media literate. When we work together, we taught that in the curriculum that we taught, like how to see something in an Instagram post in a a subway ad and say, well, that actually isn't depicting women very well. But without that information passed on to young people, they're not going to be able to very easily spot these double standards, spot the way that women are treated, the way that we are conditioned to treat women. And so what is going to happen is they either never address it and they think that that's just fact, or what happened to you is that, you know, they're going to recognize it and have to go through that really painful and arduous process of unlearning. But like, if we can get to young people first, before all that conditioning starts, or at least in the process of the conditioning and start and introduce a counter narrative. You know, I think that's why sex education is so important because right now there's nothing that's doing that for young people. No, I agree with you. And I think it's not only teaching kids about the anatomy of sexual education, but all the dialogue that comes with it and, and all the judgment and all the emotional connotations that are also attached to sexuality. I think it's going to be very difficult for this society to adjust from being a very patriarchal, double standardized society to be a more equitable one. It's going to take quite some time for us to recalibrate as human beings. Yeah, for sure. I want to ask you our last question, which is knowing what you know now, which as we've talked about is a lot more than what you knew then. What do you wish that your sex education journey could have looked like? I wish that my sexual education journey would have been taught by individuals who were equitable people, you know, people who were fair, people who were very careful with their judgments, people with good hearts, and people who were very open to understanding why people behave the way they do, and people who really tried to come from a place of love instead of judgment and hostility, and I guess to give a a very non-biased perspective on sexuality so that we can make our own decisions. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so important, just leaving judgment at the door and coming in to engage with the information in a way that's going to be healthy for everybody. And it's really not too much to ask. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us, Fran. 
If folks want to follow you, check out your classes at Lehman, um, where can they find you on the internet? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, it's Francisco De Cristo. I'm also in the process of la- launching a new vending machine business. Um, it's very interesting. It's not your traditional vending machine business. So we're trying to sell uh, healthy snacks out of these machines, along with helping employees with their overall health environment. So it's Hollis Vending Company. We're on Instagram, we're on LinkedIn, and we're on Facebook. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Francisco, for taking the time and stay warm over there in New York City. Oh, thanks so much, Carol. You too. And thanks for having me on the show. It was really it was it was really awesome. I enjoyed it. You can find the show on Instagram at Sex Ed Rewind or online on my website at caroconfort.me. I drop new episodes to podcast platforms every Monday. The cover art and website are by Kelsey Reifler, and the podcast is produced and edited all by me.